So if you want to pull out your bulletin, there's a place for you to write some notes, some takeaways, some things that you'll want to hold on to as you go through your week. We are in towards the end of our series called Relational Conversation with God. We've been looking at Luke chapter 24, and we've seen that there's nothing more important than relationship with God, and that relationship with God is contingent upon our conversation, our being with Him, our talking with Him, our listening to Him, experiencing Him. I don't know if you know this, but um, I'm a grandfather now. I have grandkids. Yeah, I know some of you. And, one, and uh, some of our grandkids live out in Seattle. And when Cadence, our youngest son's firstborn, Cadence, sweet little girl, was born, um, we went out after she was born to help them out. And, the, and, and uh, so we tried to help as much as we could during the day, but the greatest help that I was able to provide because Seattle's three hours early, how do you say that? Behind us. And I get up early anyway. The daily routine would be, I would be up early, and Cadence, as sweet a girl as she was, wasn't sleeping very well. And so I would be up really, really early, like three, four o'clock in the morning because of the time difference. And so Cadence's mom, Liz, would feed her, change her diaper, and then bring her out to me because I was up. And so the next couple of hours, I would hold her, I would rock her, I would sing to her and just have a wonderful time. A couple hours later, she'd start getting hungry, so I would take her and knock on their door, hand her off. She would feed her, change her, bring her back out, hand her off, and I would spend another couple hours holding her, enjoying her, singing to her. A lot of times she was asleep, sometimes she was awake. And over a period of 10 days of doing that, there was a bond that was built. About a year later, we went back, and now she's a year old. We only get to see them about every six months or so. And so I came into the living room, I, you know, got off the plane, came in the living room, and Cadence was there. She's 13, 14 months old, and she wasn't quite sure. So I got down on the floor and started playing with her toys. Pretty soon she comes crawling over to me and she's interested. And it, it wasn't very long before that bond was reestablished again. Because she couldn't consciously remember me, but there was something very deep internal. There was a bond that was built. And now she's six years old, getting ready to go to kindergarten. And, and when we see her or when we FaceTime with her, the, the bond is immediately there because the conversations that we have and the interaction that we have is based on relational connection that comes from time together. And I think that's a good picture of how we begin to experience relational connection with God. It's not an accident that the Bible, when Jesus came and he was talking to Nicodemus about what it means to follow God, that he used the term to be born again. To be born again. To accept Christ as Savior is to be born anew. And as newborn babes, we need that relational connection. We need to experience God's presence. We need to be held in his arms. We need to 
spend enough time with them that there's that relational connection. And as we experience that relational connection, then we begin to experience our hearts burning within us. Sometimes we don't even realize that he's there. But there's a relational connection. There's a subconscious experience. And I think that's a part of what we see in our scripture in Luke chapter 24. So if you look at your outline, you'll see that I've listed the first nine lessons or truths that we have identified from this passage of scripture. I'm not going to read through them again, but I put them there for your reference. And if you want to go back and listen to the sermons again, um, they're on YouTube. They're also, um, are, do we have the audio online yet? Okay, so the audio is online on the website if you want to go back and, and pick it up there. But I do want to read through um, the, the passage of Scripture. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. Does anybody need a Bible? Just slip up your hand. We need one here. Need one there. Um, Pete will bring them up. Right there. Anybody else? Okay, Luke chapter 24. And the page number for the, that Bible that we just handed you is there for you. Luke 24, we'll begin with verse 13. This is, the, this is the Jesus' resurrection day. So we're picking up the story after he was risen from the dead. That very day, two of them, of Jesus' followers, not of the original 12, but the, the expanded group, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened on the resurrection day and the crucifixion and all that. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here, there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said, to each, uh, they said to each other, and this is the focus of our time together, did not our hearts burn within us 
as he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road? Our focus then is what is this deep, delightful, heartwarming moments that we can have with God? What are these about and how do we experience them? And which brings us to our 10th lesson or truth from this passage of scripture. And that is about the conversations with God are sweet. Conversations with God, when we're, when we're in true communication with him, they're, they're sweet. I put um, the message um, paraphrase of this verse is back and forth. They talked. Did we feel, didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened the scriptures to us? The reflecting, it wasn't until the, after the conversation, it wasn't until after he vanished that they suddenly realized the, the, the warmth, the fire, the, the pleasure, the joy that happened when they were in communication with him. So what does this look like? First, I think we need to recognize that it is anchored. To have this kind of heartwarming, pleasurable, joy-filled communication with God, it has to be anchored in deep relational connection. Deep relational connection. Um, It's one thing to talk to a stranger and have a wonderful conversation. It's a whole different experience to talk to someone that you've known all your life and you've shared life together and you've gone through the ups and downs and the ins and outs. It's interesting with Cadence, who's now six years old, we get on the FaceTime and, and, or, or when we saw her a few weeks ago, there's just this immediate connection. Her little sister, who's only a year old that we'd never seen before because of all the craziness that's been going on, we couldn't even hold her because she didn't know us. See, that's the difference. It's anchored this heart-burning conversation, this heart-resonating kind of experience with God is based in relational connection. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17. It's in your outline there. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What he's describing here is that when we come to Christ and accept him as our Savior, we come to that place where we decide, yes, we want to be in relationship with Christ and we're willing to give our lives to him. We are born again. We are born anew. And from that point on, it's in spending time with him as we're being adopted and spending time with him that we build those relationships so that we're sharing life together and we're experiencing life together and, and the word is, and we begin to understand the Bible and we experience worship together with other people that it begins to build this, this relationship that, that deepens and deepens and deepens the connection to the place where instead of viewing God as, 
as whatever we grew up with as something distant out there, something um, uh, maybe a, a mean God who is just ready to hurt us or a judgmental kind of God. When we begin to experience who he really is, we experience him as Abba, which it, the, the literal translation is Daddy or Papa. It's a term of endearment, a term of, of deep trust where we, we know that God loves us and cares about it, that he holds us in his arms, that, he, that he's poured out his life for us, that he's, he would never hurt us. But he's all about our best. Abba, Daddy, Father. So if we, if we want to experience this, this heart-burning resonance in conversations with God, it has to be based in that kind of relationship. So that, in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So that when we come into an experience like this worship and you, and you just sense something, it's because the Holy Spirit is living within. And then when you, you look at somebody else who is not serving God and they're in the same experience, they, it doesn't even touch them. Why? Because the Spirit of God is not within them. And he says, and that we are children of God. Children of God, not slaves. Although he is our master, but we're his children. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Provided that we suffer with him, that is, we surrender, we give ourselves our completely to him, in order that we may be glorified with him someday in heaven. It's anchored in deep relational connection. I don't know if I told you this, but I have grandchildren now. <laughs> well, yeah, I told you a few minutes ago. We also have a daughter who's, who lives close by, and this week um, called me up, said, Kate, uh, we're driving by. Can we stop by and see you for a few minutes? So, of course. Well, she's got a six-year-old Brody and three-year-old Landon. Six-year-old Brody, when he was born, we had that same kinds of experience as I described with Cadence. And we would watch him, and, and we spent tons and tons of time, six years old. Land and we haven't, because of the craziness of all the stuff that's been going on in our culture, we haven't had that kind of experience with him. And so they could jump out of the car to see me for a few minutes, and Brody, six years old, comes running over to me, Grandpa, 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 and he gives me a big hug, and, and, I, and I hug him, and I, and I kind of step back to release him, and he just keeps hugging me, because I hadn't seen him for a while. And we've got, because we've got this deep relational connection. Landon, the three-year-old, comes comes running over. He goes, hey, Grandpa. He's got this low voice. I mean, he's three years old and he sounds like James Earl Jones. <laughs> Walks up to me. Hey, Grandpa. <laughs> I pick him up and I hold him and he starts talking. He doesn't, there's no hugging because we haven't established that deep relational subconscious connection that causes us to feel that way. And some of the times when we are struggling to experience God is because we have, we're not spending that time with him to have that deep relational connection because that's when our hearts begin to burn. It's been the last couple of years that, that God has just been drawing many of us into his presence deeper and deeper and deeper. And now I can hardly get through a worship service except that a scripture or a song will just capture me and I get tears. And, and Sheila said to me the other day, said, you've never been a crier, but man, you're crying a lot these days. 
I'm going, yeah, and it's always because of God. I don't cry about other stuff, but man. And, and it's because of the deep relational connection. The more he draws us into himself, the more deeply we experience that resonating, our hearts burning within us. So it's anchored in deep relational connection. And it is indescribable delight, enjoyment, pleasure, satisfaction. Um, it, it, and, and so I put all those words there because it's, it's indescribable. It really is. You can't put into words what you experience. I was, um, I'm, I'm going through this uh, free course from Hillsdale College on C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite all-time writers. Um, and as I'm, I'm listening to the, the teacher of this course, he's describing C.S. Lewis's conversion to Christianity. He didn't grow up a Christian, and he got converted. And, and one of the criticisms of C.S. Lewis is he never, he never talks much about his conversion. There's just a couple of lines in, I th- it, maybe it's mere Christianity, I think, where he, he talks about it. And the professor observed, and because of some of other, other writings of C.S. Lewis, is that throughout his life he didn't try to describe his conversion because he understood that when you come to Christ, it can be experienced, but it really can't be defined. I mean, we, we define it theologically. It's coming to Christ, accepting Christ as our Savior, having our sins forgiven, being made new, reconciled with God, all of those kinds of descriptions. But C.S. Lewis' attitude was, it, I am inadequate to really describe what I've experienced. And it is. And I, I don't know how to describe I mean, um, as we grow closer to God, there's just... It's just so good. How do you describe good? How do you describe wonder? How do you describe the indescribable? But it's delight. It's pleasure. And I've said many, many times, there is no greater pleasure than being in relationship with God and experiencing his presence. None. I don't, you can think of the, the thing that you think is great, of greatest pleasure that you've ever experienced in your entire life. And I'm telling you, it doesn't compare with experiencing God, being in his presence and the pleasure of have, experiencing that which we were created for that was surrendered in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And it's just a taste of what heaven will be. So if you, can, if you experience just little bits and pieces of what it means to be in relationship with God and the pleasure that's there, just think a billion times better when we get to heaven. So this... This burning within our souls is a gift from God here and now, but it's just a, a taste. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? I, I hope it's okay. Aloha Day sat in, the, in our prayer gathering on, on Wednesday night. And we, were, we had a chair prayer and we invited people to sit and pray for different things. And, and so Dave got into, into the chair and after we prayed, as he stood up, he said, that felt like being in the Father's lap. Right? I go, yeah, that's when our hearts burn within us in the presence of God. 
Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 14. Turn your Bible there. Is the page number there? No, we forgot to put it. Philippians chapter 3, 4 to 14. Page 981 in your pew Bible. 981? 980. For once I was right. Uh, every once in a while. Every once in a while. So here's the Apostle Paul, and he's coming towards the end of his life after having experienced several decades in this Abba-Father relationship. And it, and it does grow sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. There's a, there's a song that we sing, it goes sweeter as the years go by. It does. And so he, here he describes Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here he begins to describe the things that would bring pleasure in this world. Success. And, and affirmation and, and position. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, he's the best of the best in, the, in his Hebrew faith. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecuted the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And all of that would also bring money and power and position and fame. And so he said, I had it all. I had it all. But, Whatever gain I had, I, count at, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. In other words, everything as worthless compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And that word knowing is a term of relationship and intimacy. Not head knowledge, but experiential knowledge. It's the same kind of word that is used between, um, in the Christmas story, where it says, and Joseph did not know Mary in intimate relationship until after Jesus was born. He says, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, an intimate relationship with Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, literally manure or an even more crass word. I count all of this good stuff, all of this stuff that brought me pleasure and power and enjoyment, I count it all as manure compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, not just religion, but relationship, but that which comes through faith, relationship in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, I may know him more and more deeply. I may have deeper and deeper intimacy and then the power of his resurrection so that I'm experiencing him working in ways that I can't even imagine. And that I may share in his sufferings, that I may have the privilege of going through hard stuff that he might be glorified. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's the goal. The end of this life. Not that I have obtained, already obtained this or am already made perfect, but I press on. I keep growing. I keep, I keep getting, 
experiencing deeper intimacy and deeper knowledge and deeper service. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus. And that's about relationship. That's about relationship. It's not running a race that we're, you know, we're, we're accomplishing a bunch of stuff. If we're, God wants to accomplish stuff through us, but it's about relationship. It's about seeing him. And that's why the description of the, the, the goal line of death, the threshold that, that separates this life from the next, the, the picture is of Jesus waiting there with open arms to haul, to haul us into his arms and the deepest intimacy of all, like I do with my grandkids. Only a billion times better. It's about deepening our relationship with him and his indescribable delight. It's beyond anything that we can anything that we could describe or understand. And that's where the joy is. Which brings us to the question then do we really experience this delight? Do we? Or are we settling for less? Because in America, Christianity, it's much more about religion than anything else. It's much more about getting from God what we want rather than giving to God all that he deserves and then receiving back in return. It's about fulfilling some kind of rule and regulation. And that's not what this is. And that's why when I, you know, I hear after all of this COVID craziness and people are not coming back to church Sunday morning, which is what people refer to as Sunday morning worship. Why? It's because they're not experiencing the delight. How do you stay away if you experience the presence of God? I mean, I, I, this is my favorite part of the week. It used to be a job. Let me just be transparent with you. Years ago, I mean, it's been a, a lot of years ago, but it used to be, man, Sunday's coming. I got to come up with a sermon. These people are going to be talking to me about their problems and I got to put up with all this stuff. And I, you know, there were just days when you just go, oh, yeah. But now this is my favorite part of the week, not because of you and not because of me, but because the presence of God in the last few years has just become so manifest. And when we gather, I can't help but have any tears in my eyes be, because it's so pleasurable. It's so wonderful. And, and so we don't experience it. They're, and my question to you is, are you experiencing it at the level that God wants you to experience it right at this point in your life? Or are you settling? Because God does not want you to settle. There was a, um, someone who... Um, not here today, but started coming a, a few months ago. Um, I was talking to him and he said, I, you know, I just love coming here because every time I come, it's like, and he, and he paused and he's trying to think of a way to, he goes, it's like, it's like a natural high. And my first thought was, okay, you must know what an unnatural high <laughs> in order to compare it with that. Cause that would have never come to my mind. <laughs> But you know what? You're right. It is when you begin to experience the presence of God. Do we experience it or are we settling?
for it. Relational conversations with God will begin to touch all parts of our lives from the beginning through the end of our day. And so it won't become a burden that I have to read the Bible, that I have to pray, that I have to love my neighbor. It becomes walking in step with God, walking in, in, uh, in tandem with him so that he's with us all the time and, and we're experiencing moments of our hearts burning within us as we're going through our day. But the struggle is the devil is very strategic to get us to think that conversation with God is something very different. It starts very young because we try to teach our kids how to pray very young. And what we do is to teach them how to pray rope prayers, but we don't talk with them about it. And so like the Pledge of Allegiance or the Cub Scout Oath, we say, okay, we need to say our prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then, and then looking back on it, if I should die before I wake, why would I teach? Why did my mom teach me that? Was she going to kill me during the night? Was there the danger of, I mean, was, was your food that bad you think it's not going to get me through the night? If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Okay, we need to pray before we, we eat our meal. God is great. God is good. Let us thank you for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, a day the bread past the potatoes. We, I mean... <laughs> It's not that the prayer is bad. It's that, that it, we just do it as if it's something to do and get over with. Right. Like the Pledge of Allegiance at a ball game, right? Nobody's paying attention to the Pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem. It's just something to get through. Yeah. Or, we teach them, or we teach songs. I don't know. I, one, of the, one of the songs... Um, oh, the Lord is good to me. And so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need. The, oh, yeah, the, sun, and the sun and the rain and the apple seed. The Lord is good to me. So we do that at meals before we pray. And then we don't pay attention to it. And so we've been conditioned to think of prayer as an obligation instead of this meaningful conversation. Because when my phone rings and, and there's a special tone for FaceTime and it's one of uh, somebody that is precious to me. Could be my, my mom doesn't know how to use it, but my sister does. Or my grandkids or one of my kids. And I see that my heart doesn't go, oh no. My heart goes, all right. And that's the way it should be with God. When he starts talking to us, when we start leaning into him. Now, I want to meddle just a little bit. It requires, in order to get there, it requires enough time to have a deep relationship with God and experience His presence. How many times have you been with somebody that you love that you haven't seen for a while and it's not until you've been with them for a while and maybe you've, you've gone to places, you've gone out to eat or you've you had some conversations, but it's not until you've been together for a while that the really meaningful conversation occurs. And how oftentimes it's that way with God. That's the way it was with these two. If you remember, it was, they were walking along, Jesus was talking to them. He pretends like he's going on farther. And they say, no, stop, you know, stay with us. And it was in that extra time that he revealed himself. And so the question is not how much time do I have to spend with God? It's how much time can I 
bring God into my daily life so that I am in conversation with him so that I can get to that place where my heart burns within me. So how can we experience this delight with God more? It develops over time and it develops over, over, a, over a period of time of spending time. It doesn't happen overnight. What we know is that these two were followers of Jesus. They weren't of the 12, but they had been a part of this expanded group of people. Because what we know is in the book of Acts, we find 120 people gathered worshiping God when the Holy Spirit shows up. So, and there were, there were, there was, so Jesus' entourage was bigger than 12. We know it was at least 72 because he sent that many out. So that was these two. And so they had spent enough time listening to him, being with him, traveling with him, that they were prepared to hear what he had to say on this day. If we don't spend enough time over a period of time, we won't experience our hearts resonating within us. Now I put in there one of the keys that in our very individualistic, independent society that we miss is that being with Jesus with other people Amen. is essential. It's not an accident that Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. Amen. And so we usually think of time with God, prayers with God as an individual, primarily, experience. And it is an individual experience, but it's absolutely essential that we experience as much as possible with other people. Because there's something about the Spirit of God in one person and the Spirit of God in another person resonate. And the sweeter, it, it's so much sweeter when we're together because of the manifest presence of God that comes. So if you were in prayer gathering on Wednesday, as we prayed for people, it was just obvious. We had, you, you can pray for that person individually, but when we get together, there's something that happens spiritually. Amen. When we get together to worship on Sundays, when we get together for the learning community, when we get together just to go out to eat, when it's together, there's something about together. And so it's not an accident that as these, as these guys are traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus, that there was two of them. It's not an accident that when Paul decided to go on his missionary journey, he was with Barnabas. It's not an accident when they had a falling out that he chose Silas to go. It's not individual, it's together. Together, 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 together. And so one of the things we need to start thinking of is how do I experience this with other people? Could be people in my family, my extended family, my church family, people in my workplace, together. It is absolutely essential. And so what we see is that they had followed Jesus for a while. This wasn't new. This wasn't a new relationship. They, they had been with Jesus for a while. They were engaged in relational conversation before Jesus showed up. But then when Jesus shows up, all three of them are in conversation. Jesus doesn't pull Cleopas aside and say, we'll get to you later. We're just going to have this conversation together. It was them together. And then they invited Jesus to spend extra time with them. This, is, this, this was the process. So it was in the extra time that I mentioned together. And they were focused on Jesus. 
and they were open to Jesus. Didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked to us and when he opened the scriptures about himself? And so they were focused on Jesus. They were listening to Jesus. They were paying attention to Jesus. I told you, I think I've, I told you last week and um, I've mentioned it previously, um, one of the new experiences that God has led me to is to listen to the Bible. And something is happening because I'm listening. I've been reading the Bible forever. If you look at my Bible, I've got all kinds of notes and everything. You know. But this I'm listening, there's just a in just allowing the word of God just kind of wash over me for a periods of time. There's something that happens when we do that. There's something that occurs when we're focused on Him. It was only in retrospect. It was only after Jesus vanished that they turned to each other and said, didn't our hearts burn within us? They didn't realize it at the time. And so often it doesn't feel good to do the things that we need to do at the time. I'm sure... I'm sure they were kind of stinging from Jesus' words because his first, his first words when they started explaining why they were upset and sad was, oh, you foolish ones. Well, that didn't feel good. But later, their hearts burned within them. And I just wonder if as Americans who are so emotionally driven and we like to have our pleasure, if we don't, if we fail to listen when it's not fun and we miss when our, the heart resonating, the heart burning within us because we give up before we get there. Here's what I know. Is God wants you to experience an indescribable satisfaction and pleasure of being in his presence. Amen. And he's working harder than you'll ever work to get you there. Amen. But I just wonder if we aren't settling. If we haven't, if, if, if we're not getting there mm -hmm. because we're not giving him priority. Would you bow your heads? If you are experiencing heart burning, resonating pleasure, would you just take a moment and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that joy. If you're not experiencing it, would you say to the Lord, do whatever it takes and show me how to lean into you to get there. And for all of us, whether we're experiencing it or not, God wants more. God wants to give us more. It will require more of us, but it's worth it. So in these moments, what is it God wants you to do? What, 
what step or two, what change or two that he wants you to do this week that you're willing to say, okay. Lord, if you'll give me the strength, I'll do it. And surrender that to God. What one or two things can you do this week? It's a lifetime journey. It's a, a relationship that builds. There aren't any shortcuts or big leaps. It's just step by step, moment by moment, letting him pull you into himself as, as a grandpa does with a dearly loved child. Lord, I pray that you would do whatever it takes to get each one of us and all of us together as a church family deeper and deeper into you. Lord, that you would be glorified. It, keep us, protect us from our selfishness and get us focused on giving you the honor and the glory and the place you deserved so that we can experience what you offer. I pray for each person, Lord, that you would break down the barriers. Anything that's, that's been a part of the past or the present that, that has caused fear or hesitancy, that you would help them, give them the strength and the ability to get past that, to experience the depth of love that you have. Lord, that we would regularly experience our hearts burning within us individually and as a church family. Do it, Lord, do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Because, Lord, you have been faithful all our lives. You have been so, so good. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.